Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, this is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today we have my former colleague Angelica Spanos on the show with us. Angelica uh, now works for the Law and Crime Network, which is a streaming service. And Angelica, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me, Bo. Excited to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. So I'm excited to catch up. Um, we used to work together, uh, Angelica and I, at um, Fox Connecticut News, which sort of rebranded to Fox 61 News and then went back to Fox Connecticut. It's hard to keep track, but um, it's the uh, Fox affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut. So we worked there um, several years ago together. And um, you are now based in New York City, Angelica. Um, and tell us a little bit about what you do for the Law and Crime Network. Yeah, sure. So once I left Fox 61, um, I came to New York and I was working. I still am very much like open to do multiple things at one time as a I've kind of taken the freelance route in the business, which first is really scary, but it's um, really become really great. Um, so I left Connecticut, came to New York and was freelancing for ABC News and worked through the presidential election um, in 2016. And then I ended up doing financial news, which is quite the pivot over at CNN's um, news source, which is basically their affiliate program. And I still do financial news for them out of the NASDAQ. And I recently picked up a show on the Law and Crime Network, which is a streaming only network um, created by Dan Abrams that basically aired live trials all day. And we dip in and out of them and discuss what's going on with legal analysts who have been former lawyers or a lot of them do a lot of legal TV, especially now with all of the big trials we've had. They are very, you know, well to do with the TV legal scene. So many of them will come from Fox News or CNN and then come do our show um, and things like that. So, so Law and Crime Network is, is relatively new, I, I think. Um, Court TV has had this, you know, your, I guess the competitor has had this, uh, you know, uh, rebirth of its own. And I remember back in the 90s, I'd be sitting there in my living room, like flipping through, and I would see Court TV and see some big trials on. And then Court TV kind of faded away, kind of died out. But what do you attribute, you know, th there's kind of this renaissance of these like live courtroom trial networks. What, what do you attribute that like renaissance to? Do you think there is it social media or there seems to be this renewed interest? Yeah. And it's really crazy because I think that's why the network has been so successful. There is this audience that loves to know about these live trials and not only just knowing about them, but actually will watch the, you know, the court all day long, which is really crazy because for us at Law and Crime, we have our average viewer time is something over like a half an hour, which is pretty long for news programming in general. Um, and it's these real big like trial junkies. We had acquired a website that 
um, covered lots of national trials that everyone was into and it had a chat room component to it. So if you watch our show, there's a chat room on the side and you will see tons and hundreds of people in America just talking about these trials and they know a lot. They know way more than you and I would know. You know, if I didn't have to learn these trials front and back for work, I would not know half the amount of information they know about these trials. Um, I think, I don't know if it's social media. I don't know if it's, like you said, this sort of renaissance of the true crime is just so on trend right now. But because of that, we have a ton of eyeballs. We have a lot of money getting thrown our way. And we continually have new shows, new specials coming out and new partnerships that have made us grow, even since I've been there, which is not even been a year yet. So it's just really interesting. And it's really, honestly, eye-opening. I did not know that there is this giant crime-driven population out there that just loves this stuff. And these aren't trial, like a lot of the trials we cover are general news, you know, Harvey Weinstein, uh, Robert Durst, but many of these trials are just random crimes out of Florida or Ohio or wherever, and people still know all the ins and outs. Wow, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it it uh, it really like you know when Court TV went away, I thought it was kind of over, and then now that it's really come back with a with a vengeance here, and, and clearly is is profitable, or else you wouldn't have two uh, whole networks, you know, doing it. Um, which is fascinating. So, uh, yeah, Robert Durst, that, uh, man, that, that, uh, <laughs> the, uh, what was it? I guess like a documentary about him, um, that was on HBO about five years ago. That, that might be like one of my favorite pieces of television in history. Did you ever see that one, the, the documentary about him by any chance? Yeah. So that's going to be big for us because I don't know if you know, but the trial is basically starting like Monday. Um, so they're in jury selection right now and the trial is supposed to start this week. But yeah, because of that documentary, he got charged. Um, and that story just has so many ins and outs. There's a lot of, a lot of background to it. We actually just ran an hour special on it because his defense team gave us an exclusive interview um, because he has worked with one of our hosts in the past and it's a really good special. You should watch it if you loved that documentary, but yeah, his trial is expected to start like in a few days and we'll be covering that. So I've had to, I hadn't watched it when it was on HBO the first time around. I actually watched it, uh, I think the last time he had some sort of hearing or free trial, like hearing because of this trial that's starting this week, I ended up watching it. And yeah, it's really interesting. It's really well done. Uh, that's a trial that like everyone is excited about. So that'll be yeah. good for our network yeah 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 i mean i you know um i think you know i would be interested in watching portions of that trial and i think for me that's kind of a window into like why so many people watch the network because you know for a lot of cases i think to myself why do people care about that i'm not interested but you know all it takes is one case that you feel personally invested in or you know personally interested in and then that kind of you know at least for me provides a window into why people are, are so interested in these other cases but uh yeah, I watched, uh, it was called The Jinx, I think, and um, right. yep, I watched it pretty much when it came out. I don't know how I got onto it, but um, it's kind of funny because I feel like if people watched it, like if someone watches it today, they'll feel like, oh, okay, this is kind of the same, like, 
uh, crime documentary format that we see all the time now. But like five years ago, it was sort of like still in the nascent stages. Like you had Serial, which was the podcast, and then you had like the Jinx. And like those were sort of the two like well-known things. And then about a year and a half later was when they did, uh, I think, How to Make a Murderer, the Netflix show. Yep. And then it just felt like, okay, now like the floodgates have opened and like every new podcast was about documenting a crime and like all these shows and it really, uh, really opened Yeah, up. that really was, that really was kind of the first, I'd say like the first big trial that was a, a, a TV show in this new, um, just popularity thing of all these trials like the the jinx kind of started it all off and then you had all the streamings all the networks doing their own little docu-series about all sorts of trials yeah yeah it's really grown uh you know you just, and it's kind of interesting because you never know what like you know sector or topic could be next i mean you know nobody in like 2013 that i know of was really predicting that you know taking a specific crime and breaking it down you know would would be this huge category in podcasting and tv and i mean it kind of makes sense but you know obviously now hindsight's 2020 so well just to pivot a little bit um you mentioned how you enjoy now the the freelancer life in new york city and i've heard people talk about that before about how there's actually a lot of freelancing in in the tv news world in new york city but you know your your career prior to that had been you know, primarily in local news and, and going, you know, from different stations with, you know, multi-year contracts where you were kind of locked in and, um, and then you decided to make the switch. So if you could just talk a little bit about why did you decide to make that switch and why is it that you find yourself enjoying that now? Yeah, I love, I love it. Um, in the beginning, I think it's super scary, especially coming from, having the stability of, okay, you know, you're going to move to this town. You're going to be there for two and a half years or three years, whatever it is. And that's just going to be your life. Um, so you kind of just get set in that you accept it and you go from there. But, you know, freelancing is, is really great because not only the flexibility of your schedule, but just the fact that you, you get to dictate what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, and for me, like, I, I really, truly like local news and I loved it when I worked in it. But now being out of the local news grind, per se, um, I don't know if I could ever go back to doing that, honestly. Um, it's, I, I understand how, how wonderful it is and how people truly love it and make it their careers. But after not having to wake up at 2.30 in the morning and show up at a fire in 20 degree weather I like just don't see how I could ever do that again right. um and it's not just like the lifestyle part of it but I think it's also like for me a big headspace thing there there's something about you know knowing that every day is is going to be some sort of breaker or you know if it's not breaking news it might just be the most boring story on the planet about what the you know, what the county school board is changing or whatever. Um, I, I really like kind of looking at things on a more, I guess, general scope. Um, I, I love the fact that when I started writing and working over at ABC, like my, my stories were for all the affiliates 
in the entire country. So I wasn't localizing something and I wasn't making um, something so, so specific um, that it was, it was just really refreshing. And I truly enjoy kind of the, the broader scope of things as opposed to the, the nitty pretty like localizing and details of how this affects a specific part of, of where you are and of the community. Um, so yeah, I think for not only the lifestyle, but just the, the day of the, the way the work flows and the day, the, the way the day goes for me has been just very, very, uh, different. And for the better, I like it a lot more. Um, it can be scary cause I've had time periods where it's like, oh, I don't have anything booked for like a month. And you're like, oh geez, like a month of like, what do you do? Um, Luckily for me, I'm fortunate enough where I'm able to still, you know, sustain my life in that sense. And I'm not going to get like thrown to the streets because I don't work for a month. But over the years, you figure out how to make it work. Like if you're really busy at, you know, for a few months, then you kind of just know how to supplement the next month if you're not. Um, It's also really great because you can actually make plans and like do your life. Like if I want to go, I'm from the DC area, if I want to go home and, and hang out with my grandparents for, you know, five days, I just say, Hey, I can't be booked these, these days, please, uh, you know, please note. And then I won't be booked at work and I just go chill with them. So it's really nice in that sense too. So you just let the, the employer, like the, the peop, the stations or channels that you're contracting with know that you, that the, the can't be booked those five days. Yeah, I mean, typically you you kind of have like a rapport and a schedule ish situation. Like when I work at Law and Crime, I know my show is, you know, these days of the week from this time. So I obviously will not like screw them over and be like, oh, can't come in tomorrow. Sorry, you know, on a Wednesday if I'm supposed to do my show on Thursday. But if I know in advance, like I can obviously easily say, hey, I I have to be off this day. Like don't can't do the show like please find uh I'll help you find someone to fill in or whatever it may be and you know because I am a freelance contract employee they they can't tell you no and you know you just go from there and and finagle the schedule um it's a little bit different for when I work over at CNN because that's an overnight shift um and there's only like I think three of us do the job period so us three kind of more coordinate with each other as opposed to with a um manager or someone who makes the schedule okay interesting um Mm -hmm. yeah so have you have you learned uh like some new like have you found yourself kind of learning some new uh like legal terminology or kind of you know feeling almost like you're a lawyer with this law and crime job Oh yeah. It's beyond like, I, if you watch my first show, I was just so, I spoke so generally and I was so much more looking at it as if I was covering it as the day, you know, my story for the day. And it was super, I'd say like a little bit more lowbrow in the sense of, I would keep things pretty basic. (laughs) And now after doing it for so long and watching so many of these trials and talking to people who know these, inside and out because if you're a lawyer a lawyer 
you know every single thing of what's going on in these courtrooms and why they're happening. I can now like figure out what's going on, but I don't necessarily know why or the strategy behind it. But these people are defense lawyers for years or former prosecutors, so they can tell you, oh, well, they're doing this because blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I had no idea that was going on. But yeah, I have felt like I've become like this this fake lawyer because of it. And it's actually really interesting because the network in general, we don't have many, there's a handful of hosts that host on the network. Most of them are lawyers. There are only two of us that aren't. And it's, it's me and another person who also used to work in local TV. Um, and you know, it's, it's really funny because a lot of people are like, why on earth and how on earth are you doing that? You have no legal background. Like a lot of people ask me that when I'm in interviews or whatever. And I'm just like, well, because there's two sides to the, to the, to how this show goes, it's a three hour show that's produced, but it's not um, written. So I have a producer in my ear, the whole show, but nothing's pre-written. So I basically have to write, either go in early and write in my show and write bullet points or whatever, or like some of these people can just do it completely. I live the whole entire show. Wow. Um, so it's a, the reason why I think TV people are good at it is because we know how to kind of do a live TV show with a guest and with these live feeds. So for me, it came really natural to just be like, all right, we have two live feeds going on, this trial in Florida, this trial in Texas. Um, we're, go- we're hopping between the two. Producer tells you when, you know, some if something's on a lunch break, then we're obviously live in the other one and vice versa. And then you have this guest sitting next to you that you have to handle and ask questions about. You also have another guest on Skype. So it's a lot of moving parts. But from someone who's worked in live TV for a while, especially me, I, you know, I worked the morning show for so long, you just get so good at live stuff. And a lot of it's not, not scripted, and you don't know what you're talking about, or you have one fact, and you have to still talk for two, two and a half minutes about it. Um, So you're really able to sort of command and and do the show that way, which has been really, really helpful um, for me. And I think really probably be the main reason why it's still there. <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound kind of um, stressful, you know, like the the two trials, the in-studio guest and the Skype guest and having to basically ad-lib everything and go back and forth. But it definitely makes sense that, you know, your experience as a longtime morning reporter and someone who's very comfortable with live, you know, would help. And, you know, it also, I mean, you know, hey, as a... Uh, fellow TV person, I mean, you know, that's one thing that a, that a lawyer might not necessarily excel at, you know, um, obviously. Yeah. And that, and that's, it's, I'm not trying to sound like a, um, a jerk, but it's very clear when you can tell someone who has done TV and someone who's just this super really well-spoken lawyer trying to do the show because their content is obviously way probably better and more analytical and whatnot, but they're the people that struggle with kind of juggling the show and keeping the flow going as we would be used to a TV show going. Um, And it's really crazy because none of it's pre-written, as I said. So like for me, I go in and I, I go into our rundown and I have to, I write stuff in where I know it's going to happen. And I know, you know, in and out of our hard breaks or whatever, I will write things there so I can at least 
get the flow down. But some of these lawyers that do it who have just been doing TV for a while, they don't do that and they ad lib everything. And it's so hard and really incredible to watch. But it definitely is, you know, it's two types of shows, if that if that makes sense. Like mine, you can tell I'm I'm definitely a TV background. There's truly look like you're having a conversation with just a really smart like lawyer person yeah so where can um where can people watch the law and crime network if they want to check it out yeah so we are on every single one of those um streaming platforms i i know there's there's a million of them now but you can do apple tv you can do amazon you can do youtube um I know there's like we we have what's that other one called Roku Fire TV. Um, if you have Xfinity cable or any of those cable things, we're a channel on that, like on a smart TV. Um, Sling, TiVo. I, there's, we're on all of those things. I'm really behind with the streaming situation, so I feel bad I can't explain this correctly. Um, but we're on all of that. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, so it's not hard to find it. And obviously in this day and age, I mean, you can pretty it's much... It's not hard to find it. If you go on lawandcrime.com, you can also just, like, I think there's a tab that says how to watch or something. And if you have a login to any of that stuff, you can bring it up. I have friends that have it on their, can get it as a channel on their TVs, like on a smart TV. Okay. Who always like, are like, oh, I just saw you. I clicked through it. I just randomly saw you. I'm like, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get, um, you forget, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say you forget how now all these streaming things are just built into your, your actual television. I always think of the streaming as a separate thing. You got to log in, you got to find it on your phone or on your computer or whatever, but now they're all connected because of these smart TVs, which maybe I'm a late adapter, but we haven't really done that yet. in our household. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I kind of forget about that as well. So that is all that is funny um to hear that. Yeah, people just like, oh, I was flipping. And many of my friends don't have cable anymore. So they they have all those streaming things and and I'm like, wow, you found me. That's really nuts. Yeah. So clearly the streaming is is kind of the future. I mean, it it seems to be. Would you agree with that? I mean, where do you see things headed um based on your experience in terms of, you know, more and more people cutting off cable and, you know, less and less people watching local news. What, 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 do you have any predictions or what direction do you, do you see the industry going as a whole? Yeah, it's really incredible how much it's grown. And I think we see that through all these networks pumping all the money into their streaming platforms now, right? Like CBS, I think NBC is about to launch theirs or just launched theirs. Um, ABC has launched theirs, like all these different platforms that are coming out. And, and now all these people are also creating their own content on them that, that they're not getting from other people is just mind blowing to me because, you know, there's so much just stuff being made. Um, I don't know if I see signs of it slowing down. I'm sure it eventually will, obviously, but it's really incredible just because, as I said, I've been at Long Crime for even less, I think it's almost been a year. But in the time I've been there, just by seeing how much that has grown, and this is a small niche thing, like I can't imagine how it is at these other 
platforms that have, you know, more desirable programming. Um, so it's just crazy. I think it is the future for sure. I think every news organization is going to, you know, have some streaming contingent uh, if they don't already, like everyone's bulking up their their streaming situations by hiring a ton of people, you know, creating their own content. Um, I know some of my, I have a few friends that work over at Fox and Fox has been doing that like rapidly. So it's just wild because I think, you know, and I I know that the data and the numbers show that the, the streaming is just growing at such a high, fast rate. Um, so I don't doubt that it really is important and it is the future. Uh, I just kind of wonder exactly how it will all shake out in the end because I still see a lot of people us, our age and maybe older not necessarily doing the cable cutting thing completely. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, how how it will play out because I think anyone younger than us doesn't even sign up for cable anymore. Whereas someone like me or even the older generation, my parents' age, like they're not they're not cutting their cable off and and they're not really going to those streaming sites and the streaming platforms. So I think they'll both have to and will coexist for a while. I just think it'll be interesting to see how they then mesh together a little bit later on. Yeah, that's that's the big question, how it, how it just like kind of shakes out in the end. And we've kind of been in this like gray zone for a while now where they've both coexisted, but, you know, uh, one has not, you know, uh, kind of killed off. Yeah, and one struggles, obviously. Yeah, so I don't know. It'll be interesting, but it's definitely, I think also when you're when you're in it, in a niche situation or your content is not general right it's a little bit different because for us over at long crime for example we have a very specific audience and they are coming and they are coming in in droves and i think that won't change because there's this need for these people to want to see these trials and whatnot um i I don't i don't know how it works if you don't have more of a, a super focus yeah yeah for sure um i mean do you think that it it, does it does it mean less does like the streaming revolution mean less jobs for people like us like on-air tv people or does it potentially mean more jobs because of more niche programming or where where do you see that going you know i don't know if it's less i think it's different jobs and i think it's more of what we know of these of reporters or whatever you want to call them anchors hosts who can do all the tasks and the multiple things right who can produce who can edit who can write who can then go on air i think it's more of that than less jobs but there's also this other thing where now because everyone has a phone and everyone can create their own content you have these other people coming into the scene who aren't tv people who are now all of a sudden on TV, right? Just because they had this internet following or Instagram following or YouTube following or whatever it is. So, you know, it's funny. You talk, I talked to so many people who are like, oh, so-and-so just got this, so-and-so just got this job because she has 20,000 Instagram followers or whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, she's never been on TV before, but <laughs> she's got these Instagram followers and she talks into her phone all day. So boom, here she is. Yeah. Um, I think that's a different thing that's 
that's playing a big role in people like us who go to school for this, who maybe have wanted to do this forever since they were children. And now we have a separate group coming in as a, as a different type of competition. Um, and that to me is actually more scary than they're just being less jobs because of streaming or whatnot. Right. Right. And you're saying those people like they don't look, the person with like 30,000 no, followers, are they getting like a TV news job? Like actual news you're saying? I mean, I, I'm not saying they're getting like a, a job at Fox five standing out out of a scene, but many of these type of influencer, whatever you want to call them, people end up on TV because of these large following. And prior to this time, that wasn't an option, right? You didn't look for people to fill your spots because of a social media following. You looked at people's resumes, their skills, what they've covered before, <laughs> major news events they've gone to. Now that's kind right. of on the back burner and it's all about, oh, so-and-so has this many followers. Like, this is great. If you look at a lot of those more magazine-y uh, news programs, extra, access Hollywood, things like that, you know, get e-pop and stuff, they just hired a ton of people here in New York because they're trying to expand that pop culture coverage and not a single one of them comes from a TV news background. So it's just, it's just really interesting to me to see, you know, someone like you or I who went to school for this and is extremely capable of doing it is now being pitted against people who are, you know, just really attractive people that happen to have a viral Instagram page. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that is that is definitely a thing. That is definitely a thing. And, and uh, you know, I mean, one, you know, argument for the, the classically trained people is that there's like a certain credibility that comes with it. But on the other hand, you know, um, you know, networks obviously are looking for reach and for, you know, who's going to watch and so uh, the, the, it goes both ways. Right. I almost think they don't, they don't value the credibility and the experience as much as it used to be valued. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. And, you know, part of that is probably a mistake because that credibility is very important. You know, if, if someone who, you know, has taken media law classes, you know, and who has been classically trained and, you know, is under the guidance of a station with ethics rules, versus someone who has, who's not had any of that, you know, it's a big difference. Mm -hmm. But having said that, we've also seen instances recently where someone who was pretty esteemed, like Matt Gutman for ABC News, um, you know, was suspended over, over an issue with covering the Kobe, Kobe Bryant um, death. Um, you know, we've seen David Wright with ABC News who just got suspended. And so I don't mean to pick on those guys. I, I like ABC News. But, um, you know, there's even been other scenarios, right? Or even, even Brian Williams, you know, several years ago with, with the infamous, um, you know, exaggeration about the helicopter. What was it on Letterman? And then he right. gets demoted. So, I mean, I, the point I'm making is like... He was also think, doing the uh, South Carolina primary coverage last night, which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> I was like, isn't he supposed to be like the back burner here? <laughs> right, right. No, they're just gradually moving them back up to that front burner of uh, right. stories. They probably are, actually. They're probably, like, slowly, slowly inching him, you know, towards the forefront again. And a couple of years from now, we'll hear, we'll hear a bigger announcement that he's uh, back as uh, 
supposed to, you know, but um, yeah, they're just getting him warmed up for the election. Right, right, right. No, but I mean, you know, all those issues, look, I mean, journalists can make mistakes and, and we know that. And, you know, I mean, Matt Gutman, for example, has probably done thousands, like 20,000 reports in his career, literally. And, you know, he made one mistake, but, and maybe it wasn't even him. Wait, what did he do? He said that all the kids were on the, on the helicopter, right? And they weren't? I think it was that. I can't quite recall. It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like all four kids or something like that. And and yeah. And, and, you know, and then he like quickly retracted it later on and apologized and did a very upfront apology on Twitter. And that probably wasn't, that was probably coming from producers and coming from people. He, he just unfortunately gets the heat of it because that's his his face. Yes, yes, exactly. And you and I know that as, you know, when you're on the inside, you know that most of the time that's coming from someone in your ear, in your IFB and, you know, but you do have to make that choice. Like, are you going to say it? But there's a lot of pressure to say it. If, you know, the producers are telling you, yes, it's confirmed, say it, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So puts you in a very tough position, but you know, he took the fall for it. And, uh, and we don't know. I mean, it could have come from his sources and maybe he just said it, but anyway, you know, mistakes happen. But my, my point is that like when stuff like that happens though, you know, that does like kind of eat away at our overall professions credibility, you know, because anyone who mm-hmm. doesn't like local news people or national news people or the media, then, you know, has ammunition to say, Oh, well look at this example, you know, they're, they're no good type of thing, which is like, you know, again, I mean, it's just like one example out of thousands, but you know, of cases where he was accurate, was very, you know, ethically um, based, but um, you know, stuff like that can, can hurt, I think ultimately. But, mm-hmm. uh, so one thing I would ask about is the, with the Robert Durst trial, just getting back to that, I, I'm seeing on Twitter that, um, it looks like, is the trial exclusive to the law crime network? Like, are you the only ones broadcasting that trial or, or maybe I'm misunderstanding that? No, I think that that particular judge is only allowing television cameras for opening statements and closing. Oh, okay. Uh, to be live, to be live, rather. Okay. I think everything else has to be recorded and then played later, not live streaming. I could be wrong about that, but it's something to that effect if I, I'd have to go look at our, our memo. But I believe that's what it is. So, like, okay. for us, which is probably going to be the same for all TV, we wouldn't have, like, a doubt an exclusive on that. But we would be allowed to live stream opening statements from both sides, opening arguments. And then I think everything else, we're allowed a camera in the courtroom. But when court's done at, what is it, California? Where is that? California, I think. Or is it Texas? Anyway, when court's done at the end of the day, we would then have to cut stuff from the feed. And then we could only play it in parts or clips or whatever. We wouldn't just play all the raw. Okay. Okay. So did I you, think that's how it's working. Yeah. Um, it, uh, so do the, do, the, do the networks have to pay to get inside of me? Or is it basically just all just based on whatever the local and state laws are, whether you can, or in then the judge's discretion? Is that how that shakes out with what you're allowed to record and go live with? With cameras in courtrooms? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's usually... Uh, that's laws by state. Like, for example, you're not allowed to have any cameras in courtrooms in New York City. 
um, which is why Harvey Weinstein's trial, we never saw anything from in the courtroom, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, O.J. Simpson's trial, that was completely televised. Uh, it just depends on the state. Okay. So, and a lot of them, a lot of these, like, high-profile, like, super popular trials, some of them will put these these rules, like Durst's, for example, because that's in California, and as I said, we're only allowed to do openings and whatever live, and that's because the Judicial Council is allowed to, to ban or whatever, make their parameters on the media coverage of specific criminal trials. And I think that usually is all driven by, like, you know, that's, that's because of the media coverage, and that's, like, a new, that's a newer thing. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting to, uh, to hear about. So are you, do you travel for any of these freelance positions or are you 100% based in New York city all the time? So traveling? No, we, we like for law and crime, we don't travel to the courtrooms, which is one of the great things. Also sometimes it's like, you know, you kind of get the itch to want to go there, but for example, Weinstein's trial was here in New trial was here in New York, so I got to go to the courthouse a bunch. And we had we had a reporter in that courtroom every single day, and then went live from outside of the courthouse. And then I also was live if I wasn't in the courtroom. We also went live there a lot, just because there was so many moving parts on the side. Like there was always a second story of in addition to just whatever happened in the courtroom. Yeah which was good because then we get to have a couple people live there. Um, but we don't go, we don't have a reporter physically at a lot of these trials, unless they're massive, massive ones. Um, we have a freelance, like a camera in the courtroom, which is usually from like a stringer or a freelancer that we hire that gathers uh, news for us from the location. And then, you know, blasts it back to us here in New York. Um, when I work at CNN, it's a financial situation in the NASDAQ. So basically we just have a studio, uh, a studio, if you will, but it's basically the size of a closet in the NASDAQ where every network has a little office, um, which is just a chair, your camera and a computer. My <laughs> producer sits next to me outside of the door um, and I'm not even kidding you. It's probably four feet wide by three feet long. I sit in there, my producer's on the other side of the door and we do 16 live hits or so just like that. And it's just us two and that's it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and did you, did you, I mean, it's, it strikes me as like the financial situation is, you know, you didn't, to my knowledge, you didn't come from a huge like financial background either similar to the the law thing yeah it it's weird because I hadn't had a financial background obviously because I worked in local tv right but my first job out of school was actually over at Bloomberg News and for whatever reason I always bring that up when I talk to people because it just I feel like it makes me sound very uh <laughs> smart <laughs> for lack of better term <laughs> like yeah i love financial news working for bloomberg um but at the same time financial news the great the great part about it is it's pretty black and white and cut and dry and i think i've always wanted to be 
in a financial news situation, which I don't know if I've ever expressed because I worked in local so long and that's just such a rare thing you really cover. I used to always try to localize stories with, you know, any financial news of the day, but like no one in local news wants that, right? That pitch always gets shot down. Yeah. Um, but I always like business. I follow business news in my personal life. I like to follow the markets and, you know, I'm into like investing and things like that. So it's just kind of like a side type of news that I like to ingest. So because of that, I always use that to leverage the fact that I'm really into this. I follow retail news. I, you know, I just, oh, that's just what I look for. Um, And that's kind of how I ended up over there. But what we do is I'm not analyzing the market sheets each morning, right? I'm doing a customized report for each of our, our affiliate markets. So we talk about stocks that are based in these states and how they're doing. But our general, the bulk of our story or the bulk of the content for the hit is general business headlines of the day. So it's like Target added 25,000 jobs for the holidays or, you know, Amazon's about to roll out this. So it's it's very consumery, not um, highbrow business. Yeah, right, right, right. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's that's neat. Um, did you uh, would you, I mean covering the Weinstein trial was I mean that's a historic trial. That's that's kind of it. I mean, what would you say is your favorite or biggest or most memorable trial that you've covered while uh, in this position, this current job. Yeah. Weinstein was great to cover. Honestly, you know, when you're at a, you know, this, you know, when you have the whole media circus at a scene somewhere and you get all amped up. Cause you're like, this is awesome. Like we have a bajillion cameras. You see all the networks, you see every reporter ever. <laughs> and you're all there. You've got that giant mic stand with 75 different mic flags on it. Like it was one of those situations where you're just so excited and, and pumped really the whole time to be out there. Um, it was that. And I really, you know, I, I missed that sometimes. And so I think that was really, really fun to be able to go there. I actually happened to live like walking distance from that courthouse too in downtown Manhattan. So if anything ever happened or if we got word that, you know, someone was speaking today or there was a protest or whatever, I was able to run over there real quick, which was nice. Um, I I really enjoyed that because there was also, like I said, so many side stories going on aside from whatever was going on in the courtroom. We had the accusers protesting. We had the whole women's movement out there a lot. You know, Gloria Allred, every day would give a press conference. Like, so there was just a lot of other um, sidebar stories that I got to dip into, which was nice um, because again, I'm not the legal expert. So me sitting in the courtroom wouldn't be as valuable as me being outside or on the side doing those other types of stories, which I have much more experience doing and could do those much better than if I was sitting in that courtroom every day and had to come out and say, this is what the prosecution argued, blah, 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 blah. So that was a really big trial. I mean, it was a, I'm sure you saw, I mean, it was just such a media circus um, that those always get me, you know, unfortunately they're usually bad, bad scenarios, but they, they always get you pumped up. Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, there's, there's definitely that feeling 
that you have. And, and I think part of it is like, you recognize that when all those other stations are there, all the national coverage, and it's a bonanza like that, that this is like the biggest story of the day, usually, you know, when it, and, and it, right. it's rare when you're like a local person or a more niche person that you're at that thing. You know, it's only like a handful of times when it's like truly, truly like the, the story nationally and sometimes even globally like of the day. And so it is like, a, there's like a very like palpable buzz and like in the air that you can feel, you know, at those sort of uh, scenes. That yeah. It's such a different vibe. Up. Right. Yeah. Especially. And, and, and unfortunately you don't get it that much if you're in local news. Um, I mean, if you happen to be in a market where something crazy breaks, like you literally are, you know, it's your favorite day. It's your lucky day in the sense that you're like, this is amazing. This is going to be how I get my next job. Probably this is all going on my reel. Um, you know, so it's that it's, it's rare in a way, if you're not in one of these huge cities or big markets, um, and happen to, 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 you know, the news cycle happens to be in your favor. Yeah. So what would you say? Um, so you, you successfully sort of made the transition from, you know, Connecticut, uh, Hartford market 30, 32, whatever it was, um, to, you know, working regularly in, in New York City, um, you know, as a freelancer, but, you know, for big time networks. And let's just say there's a reporter listening who's like, I don't know, 26 years old or 28 years old and, you know, sort of is, is intrigued by the path that you've taken. Are there any keys to success or advice you would give somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was really about just just hitting my network here hard and and so frequently, I was lucky enough that I, I did actually go to grad school here in New York City. So I had a, a kind of a news network built in from internships and from professors and whatnot. I also have a lot of um, people I've known through the years from other internships or jobs that just happen to work here or be here. And a big thing that I attribute to how I got my, my gigs and my job was just constantly reaching out and hitting up this network of people, even if they've already told you no, or even if they've already said, ah, we're not looking for anyone right now. You really, as a freelancer, have to pressure people. And it's about being available whenever they need you. It's about not saying no if, you know, you get a call an hour before they want you in and you having to say, well, in theory, like, I don't want to go do that at all, right? I'm in the middle of something else, or I'm sitting, you know, but you get your shit together, and you just go show up. <laughs> and that's why they keep calling. That's why they keep calling you back. So I think that's a big part of the freelance thing. It's, it's hard in New York, because they there are a lot of, there's a large pool of people that are in the same position as you and will get that call and will say no or be like, oh, sorry, I'm unavailable today. But if you're that person that's available and you say yes that day, you get your foot in the door. They keep calling you, you know, you're going back more times than not. And I think that's a big part of making the freelance thing successful in New York City. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with the local news stations that I spoke to, like, I would get calls. And I'm not like, this is not, no joke, like 30 minutes before they wanted you in or at a scene or at a story. And it's like, oh, like, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm already doing something else today or whatever. And I would never hear back from those people again, because 
I said, you know, I, I turned them down basically. And, you know, they would just go to the next person on their list. So obviously there's an element of timing in, in a lot of this, but I think it has to do a lot with just always being willing to do it, to be there, to do a good job. And they can recognize that. And they know, you know, they know if you're, if you're good and able to, uh, to deliver what they want. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, so much of life is just being in the right place at the right time or, you know, being willing to make a, a sacrifice that others won't, at least in the short term or yeah. up front, you know. Um, Definitely in this business. I mean, I still think a lot of this business is luck, too, which oh, yeah. no, people might hate me for saying. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, oh, yeah, well, sorry. One other question I want to ask you is um, – so we talked about, you know, kind of advice for someone who's like 28 and wants to kind of replicate what you did. But what about, what would you say to someone who, because I get this a lot, like kids who are like 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 or 22, and they're like, hey, like, I see that you've been successful. I want to, you know, also be successful in TV and get into it and be a journalist and a reporter and all that. And, um, you know, what advice can you give me? Like what, you know, what internship should I do? And it's tough for me because oh, now... Like literally the station, so one of the stations I interned at doesn't even offer internships anymore. Um, wow. Yeah. It's so different. And I then also run the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And then also I'm someone who like right now I'm taking a year off from news and maybe more, but at least a year off. Um, and, you know, not a hundred percent I want to continue. I mean, I think I do, but um, so I guess it's like, you know, what do you tell, you know, and, and I'm watching local news ratings, you know, kind of dive a little bit and, and. So I don't know. I mean, what advice do you give when people ask you about, you know, hey, should I become a reporter? It's what I really want to do. You know, what do you say to these kids? That's tough, especially because at their age, it's it's just so different than in what it was for us, right? Right. We were told to follow this concrete path, go move to Timbuktu, go work in Market 200 and work your way in. And that's just not the case anymore. And anyone who says it is, there's always a way around that, right? Like, yeah, you can still do that, but odds are you'll probably take a much longer time to end up where you want to be than if you just maybe do something a little bit more untraditional. I think the untraditional path to TV is now almost becoming the normal. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, for someone that young, I think what, what maybe the best advice I could give was find out what you really like if it is a, if it is a specific, specific niche thing, if it is business news, if it is, um, you know, courts or crime or whatever it may be, if it's something completely different, like I know tons of people who have had these off the wall, um, not off the wall, but just not run of the mill interests and now are thriving because they happen to be the expert in fly fishing and now they have a television show on it. So it, it's, I think it's about finding something that you really, really like and just going full send into that and even starting your own Instagram page where you are talking into your phone or, or making your own stories or starting a blog because all that will at least give you reps and credibility and stories into that. And then, you know, now with all these streaming pop-ups and all these new little publications or, or niche websites for every little thing on the internet and every little thing out there you could probably break into something that way right um 
I think having a specialty now might be a little bit more important than backward when you or I went into the industry. Um, because in my sense, like if you can report and if you can do, if you can write a story and get that done, you can really do it on any topic. And that might just be because we come from local news where that's your job. You you wake up one day and you're like, okay, it's, it's 9 a.m. I don't know anything about this, but by 6 p.m. I know everything about this inside and out. And I can explain it to everyone in layman's terms very simply. Um, and I think that's a great skill that we've been able to develop because we worked in local and because that's the nature of the job. But I don't know if that's the same for someone who's now 18, 19 and wants to go do this. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't know. It's really hard to say because then a part of me is like, I don't even know what I would say because how do you break into this anymore? Because it's just so different than what it was. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's just radically, radically different. I mean, when we, you know, when I was uh, 21 or 22, I was literally mailing VHS tapes across the country, you know, and I mean, it's like, I mean, right. sound like I'm, I'm 100 years old, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, and I actually, so I watch my local news in DC all the time when I'm home. And the DC market, for example, you used to have to be 30 years old to get a job in the DC market. Now I watch all the the locals there and there are children that are the reporters now younger than me and I'm like whoa whoa, whoa, when did this happen and that's the top market and that's that's nation's capital so it's just so different I think a big thing is just yeah having a specialty and if you don't have a specialty just making a really good reel showing your personality showing what you can do proving you can report having you know the background uh that you can write writing is a big to me I I still stress how important being a good writer is in this industry I think sadly that's kind of like teetered off a lot and and I think people who can write will always shine um no matter what so I, I still think being a, a good writer is very important yeah absolutely right some of those you know, it's, it's just, it's a skill that no matter what you're going to do is really important. And, you know, and being a good writer, a lot of that is reading actually, which um, some of, you know, people sometimes do uh, less now than I think they used to, but um, yeah. So, um, well, Hey, thank you so much for um, your willingness to come on to uh, the reporter podcast. Um, My little hobby here um, that I'm. uh, Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to it. You're doing a great job and all the guests so far have been Awesome. I've listened to a lot of them. Oh, wow. Thank you. Which, which, which would have been a couple of your, of your favorite so I'm, to listen to? Well, so I really am like a podcast person. Like it might be just because I commute a lot in New York and you know, everyone's always in headphones here. <laughs> so I'm always listening to podcasts and like, I love the sort of interview um, type, you know, I love the interview format of any podcast, whether it be this one or not. But um I and also I've known some of the people on yours, so that's been good too. But right. I loved the most recent because I didn't even I didn't realize I don't know how you know him, but I didn't realize I had already followed him on Instagram, and I was like, um, "Oh my god, I know that guy." The Inside Edition reporter that you had was great. That was I think the most recent one. 
yeah, but then yeah. I listened to a ton of the older ones. Um, of course, I listened to the one with you and Dan Amaranti because, again, I know him. So yeah, I don't know. They were just they're just all really really interesting. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for for listening to it, and thanks for coming on. Oh, and one other one other question I forgot is, um, do, do you do you ever see any any familiar faces from our uh, Hartford, Connecticut days um, around New York City and TV now? Do you do you ever bump into anybody? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people actually. Um, and I want I you to name, saw, name some names. I saw just saw Jenna DeAngelis the other day at Weinstein. Okay. Okay. I know I know of her. Um, I've never actually met her. She we did not overlap. But I know of I her. I saw sure. So I was going I was walking into the Nasdaq one morning, which is in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And all the locals were out there. I don't need, I have no idea what their story was. It, they might have. I think it just was something about Times Square because it's like the only place they allow live trucks to park. But I okay. saw, um, I saw Katie Corrado and Jenna again. So I'm trying to think of what other. They're, yeah, they're all in local here. So I've, I've seen, I've seen a lot of those people. Um, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people. I'm trying to think from Connecticut though, because you know I just know so many reporters but i can't remember how <laughs> yeah. yeah you start to forget how you know people and where you met yeah them first. yeah <laughs> and then i'm like yeah. wait how do i know the man so but yeah I've, I've seen them i see uh i mean i still speak to a lot of people from the market i'm very good friends with kate rayner still um i talked to abby nizgoda she worked at nbc so yeah i see and talk to many people from the market gotcha cool cool yeah, actually, I saw, now that I think about it, I saw um, Jan Carabao, a very random place. Which, oh, my God, really? Yeah, yeah. We didn't get a chance to talk a lot, but it was because it was at the uh, the Emmy Awards, which were held in Pittsburgh. They were like the the mid-Atlantic region, and they always hold them in like Philadelphia. Um, but for whatever reason, they chose Pittsburgh last fall. And um, so I ended up like, you know, I had no idea she was going to be there, but I like saw on the program, it said, you know, Jan Carabao. And I was like, oh, hey, I know her. I used to sit next to her. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, like, it was – I, I kind of realized it, like, in the middle of the actual Emmys, so I just, like, went up real quick and said, what's up? But, um, you know, and then she, I think she left early, essentially, because her uh, thing, you know, was announced pretty early in the evening. So, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a small, small world, and, you know, it's, it's funny to see uh, familiar faces so many years later. Yeah, and it's nice to keep up with everyone on Instagram and everything, which I know sounds super impersonal, but I do, I do like seeing what everyone's up to by like Instagram. It's kind of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, it is nice. It's weird because I think sometimes it like it's a crutch, you know, and therefore like I don't need to reach out right. to so and so because I'm like, oh, I already know what they're doing. So why am I going to reach exactly. out and talk about it? But um, but by the same token, it's like you know, I don't know that in any era you had time to physically call you know, everybody who you've ever known. So, you know, maybe it's better just to have a window into what they're doing and know that they're okay versus, you know, not knowing at all. So. Yeah, no, I, I was laughing the other day because one of the, I guess, newer, she was not there when we were there at Fox, um, had reached out and we are now Instagram friends or whatever. And she is always out in a truck in the morning and whatever. And she posted a video of, um, 
them their live shot scene and I saw Earl in the background <laughs> and I was yes. just like oh my god I haven't seen him or like thought of him for so long but I was like there he is like same you know doing the same thing setting up all the lights and I was just like oh that's like just so nostalgic <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah no it's wild yeah I mean and, and time goes by fast and uh you know it's 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 nice to see the familiar faces and right and for some people you know life is about moving on and ascending and for others it's it, like consistency is key you know and having a right a stable you know just like this the, you know kind of feel um you know just just mastering something and, and sticking with that so everyone has their different route but um yeah i mean you know so much of of all of our careers are like owed in part to the people who you know helped us along the way and made us look good whenever we might have been looking bad that day mm-hmm. in reality and you know it's it's interesting but uh yeah, one thing I will say is I'm not going to name any names, but someone reached out to me and they asked me for this is a couple of years ago and they asked me for uh, like if there were any job openings in Pittsburgh when I was working for the ABC affiliate and I'd never met this person but we had worked at a you know the same station basically and I was like hey yeah um, let me check you know I'll, I'll let you know you know here's the email of the news director or whatever and they just like never responded they didn't say like thank you they didn't say okay oh, cool. It just like didn't respond. I was like, "Oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me!" It's just like, um, at yeah, least don't pretend, burn at least any You're not just using me, you know. It's just like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, back in the day, they used to say like, if someone helps you, you like write them a handwritten thank you note. But this just felt like the exact opposite of that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, I think that's a part of this business because people are quick to be like, "Oh, I know you. I don't." you know, I quickly will just send a blast off of an email and it's like usually super unpersonal and generic. And I get those all the time too. And I'm just like, uh, it's like so hard to want to invest the time in helping the people if you know they're just going to kind of be either ghosts or right. not uh, properly <laughs> follow up or whatever. But I'm with you. I, I totally, that would annoy me. And I am totally the person that still writes hand thank you notes yeah yeah it's, everywhere i go <laughs> <laughs> the lost art but it uh it, it means a lot to people and and having said that though i've had some some other folks honestly the majority of people 98 percent who you know i've helped um have been great and followed up and and been very thankful and, and been awesome and of course you know there's been a thousand people that have helped helped me over the years who i, I try to keep up with the best i can but um yeah right so, it's uh that that was obviously definitely an anomaly and an exception but it was uh it was it was interesting it surprised me but uh i will say that person skewed more to like the instagram side than than the classical tv side so uh maybe it had something to do with that but who knows so yeah, um, maybe anyway well, anyway, this was great. Um, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm starting to move away from the, the rapid fire questions of like, what's your favorite coffee flavor? So. Oh, I loved those. Oh, all right. Let's do it. Let's do a speed round then. We'll do, we'll do, uh, you want to do five minutes, <laughs> oh, four minutes. Here we go. All right. Because, because right. you're an avid listener of the podcast, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. All right. So hey, I also promoted your podcast, by the way. You did. Wait, when, where, how? Um, you know how there's like that giant, uh, TV news women Facebook group. Have you heard of like the no, buzz around I didn't, it? I didn't even, I should have, I should know that this exists, but no, I didn't know it existed. All right. So there's this like Facebook group. It's called like TV news women, I think. And it is massive and it is just girls and women that work in TV, local TV, whatever. And it is, 
I'm not even kidding you. I think it has like 10,000 members and people talk about anything and everything, makeup to, 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 you know, maternity leave to whatever. But, um, I, I took a screenshot of your thing because someone was asking about podcasts and I was like, this is a great podcast. If you're looking to hear from other reporters, whatever. And then someone else in the group was like, Oh, I worked with Bo too. Like I love his podcast. So boom. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I had no idea. Um, all right, so let's do this. Let's, let's, we'll make them quick, but, um, all right. So what is your, uh, what is your preferred method of working out? How do you work out? Oh, geez. I'm pregnant right now. I haven't worked out in months. Ah. Um, right now it's, right now it's prenatal yoga on my floor with a, uh, one of those streaming apps on my computer. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, <laughs> What's your, uh, well, when you're not pregnant, what's your preferred uh, method of caffeine intake? Is it Red Bull? Is it coffee? Is it nothing? What is it? Uh, iced coffee, no matter the temperature outside, iced latte with two splendors. I know. Even, it's like even in the dead of winter? Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, what's your favorite place you've ever traveled? It can be a city, a country, a continent. Greece. Greece, that's right. My homeland. Um, yeah. What advice would you give your 25 year old self? Um, always say yes. Good. I like that. Um, what's your favorite thing you've purchased in like the last year or so that cost a hundred dollars or less? A uh, hundred or less. Wow. Um, you totally won't know this, but there's this new hair tool that came out and it's revolutionized like girls and TV's hair. It's a Revlon straightener curler thing. It's like 60 bucks, I think, but it has changed my uh, hair regimen for television. Ooh, wow. That's, I mean, that's a good tidbit for the, the lady listeners. It's literally, I'm not even kidding you, cut, up, cut off about in, it, 45 minutes of primping. My and goodness, I hate that is print, like, so. legit. That like time it's is huge money, for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's huge. In the old days, you'd, you'd you'd they'd call you for a freelance thing, and you'd be like, "All right, hold on, it's gonna take forty five minutes to do my hair." Now, now you're just right. No, I would really have to go like book a blowout or something. Now I just plug this thing in. Wow, it's like called the Revlon One Step Hair Dryer or something. Wow. Anyway, it's gonna put, it's gonna put the blowout shops out of business. <laughs> yeah. Um, what time do you wake up on, on, you know, on the average day? What, what time are you getting up? Okay. If I'm working at CNN, I have to wake up at 2.45. If I'm not working at CNN and I'm working at long crime, I wake up at like, like 7.30. Okay. Um, what TV show are you streaming right now? Uh, you know, like a fictional TV show, a, a drama or whatever. Oh, we just started watching that, um, mcdonald's mcmillions thing have you seen, have you heard of that i've definitely heard of it no i haven't watched it yet but it looks really good people are talking it's a lot about it so good you have to watch it it's great is it a series or it's just like a one hour two hour documentary no no it's a series and they're not all out yet so maybe it'd be better to binge but i think there's like five episodes so far four or five it's, oh it's see really i didn't know well that done. i thought it was just uh like a 60 minute doc i thought okay no it's a series it's really good okay um, do you think Twitter has done more good or more bad for news? Good. I love Twitter. I'm the biggest Twitter stan there ever was. <laughs> um, I like, I, I go, the first thing I do every morning is go on Twitter. I don't go on Instagram first. I go to Twitter. Ooh, okay. Okay. 
Um, if you could have a billboard on the most highly, well, in, in Times Square, huge, the biggest billboard in Times Square, and you could put anything on it, what would you have that billboard say or a picture of? What would you have on it? Oh, geez. Um, can I be snarky? Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> oh, my God. There's, there's some funny things on Etsy, the, the <laughs> site where there's they, they so have, like, many cro- funny things about them. Yeah, they have, like, crocheted, uh, you know, little, like, dream catcher. I don't know what they're called, but, uh, you know, that say that and stuff like that. It's, it's so funny. Um, I love those memes. Yes, they're very good. Um, all right, so uh, this is, like, fill in the blank. So it's kind of like your alter ego. So um, – you know, it would be like, Bo is the blank of journalism. And so I like to say Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism, like sort of, you know, can get himself out of tough situations, very focused, you know, kind of whatever. Um, so Angelica is the blank of journalism. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm going to be so bad at this. Um, how about... Uh... Angelica is the ray of journalism <laughs> from Star Wars. Does that work? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, who's, your favorite, <laughs> who's your Who's your favorite stand-up comedian? I don't. I don't do stand. I don't listen to stand-up any comedian. Okay. Stand-up. Um, I, I, not in my. Yeah. That's fine. Um, will you stay in journalism for the rest of your life? Probably not. Who's your favorite author? Of all time, James Patterson. Okay. Um, rap or country? Country all the way. Ugh. Cats or dogs? Love country. You know, I'm not really either. Neither. Okay. I'm sorry to say, yeah. Stick mic or lavalier mic? Oh, love. Always the love. Pink or blue? Pink. <laughs> <laughs> all right that was awesome that's um, such a random one pink or blue you have a you have a baby on the way so i was i was trying to like kind of. oh i'm having a girl so i had to say pink there we go there we go so we got a little <laughs> announcement out of you there okay um no i don't know that was super random yeah i was that's what happens when i'm like thinking why <laughs> um pink or blue i'm just like red or yellow you're like what the fuck are you doing yeah like this does not make <laughs> um all right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk and join the podcast. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, you know, I'm always trying to promote the episodes. So hopefully you can, can give it a retweet or whatnot. Yeah, send me, uh, yeah, send me all the links and, and I'll retweet and repost and re-whatever. Re-whatever. All right. Well, hope, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll catch up um, in person uh, sooner rather than later. And um, good luck with the, uh, the rest of the pregnancy and, and work at your like five Thank different you. networks that you work at. And it sounds like life is good. Yeah, gotta grind it. Trying yep, to get along, yep. get get it to work in New York. Yep. All right, Bo. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.